Good morning. Merry Christmas. I also want to encourage you, um, at the back, at the info bar this morning, you're going to find a stack of Bible reading plans for 2018. It looks just like this, except this is 2017's, and it's called the five-day Bible reading program. This is what I use, and I basically just keep it folded up like this with a paper clip in the back of my Bible so that I can check off the day's readings, and then when you finish a week of five days. And the great thing about five days is you have two days to make up the days that you missed. You can either do the entire Bible, or you can do just the New Testament, or you can do the New Testament and the Psalms. And so it gives, gives you some options. And I just really, I hope you know by now that I, I really firmly believe you will not grow in your faith, you will, will not grow in your, in your love for the Lord, um, your appreciation for your salvation, your understanding of why the world is the way it is, why you are the way you are, apart from this book. You just got to be in the, in the Word of God on a regular basis. And this is a very, I, I, I've been doing this for, I guess I've been a believer for 49 years, I think, something like that. And I just, I, I can't stay in the Scriptures without a plan. I'm just telling that. I'm 65 years old, I still need a plan. And I'm just suggesting that you probably do too. And so if it's not this plan, find another one. But if you'd like to use the same plan that I use, it's back there at the info bar for, for your taking. Um, let's stand for the reading of God's Word. <clears throat> Go to the next one, Ken. Read with me, please. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And from John 14, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled neither let them be afraid. Father, we always find it a great, um, a great privilege and a great need in our lives to gather together as the people of God, to meet first and foremost with you, to enjoy the fellowship that we have in the body of Christ, but also, Lord, just simply to learn. And so we would ask that the Spirit of God would be our teacher today as we continue to ask ourselves, why did Jesus come? Please teach us in a way that would make a difference in our lives. We love you, Lord. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Please be seated. <clears throat> this morning in our series titled, Why Jesus Came, we're going to consider the fact that the Bible says that he came to bring us peace. Jesus came to bring us peace. <clears throat> Have you ever wondered what the world would be like if there was no more war? Just peace. Everywhere, all the time. You probably never have wondered that because we've never experienced what the world would be like like that. We've never experienced a world without war. 
in our lifetime, and we probably never will. I pull up an article from the New York Times titled, What Every Person Should Know About War. And they use a statistical definition for a war as an ongoing conflict, an active conflict that has claimed more than 1,000 lives, okay? An active conflict that has claimed more than 1,000 lives. And using that definition, over the course of the 3,400 years of recorded history, there has been a war or multiple wars being fought someplace in the world for 3,132 of those 3,400 years, 92% of the time. That little diagram or graphic sort of gives you the idea. Which means that humanity has been at relative peace for only 8% of our entire existence. And even that 8% is probably somewhat questionable if you were to broaden out the definition of war. How much of your life would you say has been lived at relative peace? 8%? And of course, we know there's a tremendous cost to war. The monetary cost alone is astronomical. Look at just the four examples that I gave you there. The Gulf War, $76 billion. The Korean War, $336 billion. Vietnam, $500 billion. World War II, estimate, estimate of $3 trillion. So the monetary cost of war is astronomical. We also know that it results in massive refugee problems, which brings in malnutrition and disease and sickness. It affects the, it it stunts the growth of a nation because of the loss of, the loss of soldiers' lives and the chaos that it brings. The PTSD for those severely affected can last an entire lifetime. More than six million children were disabled or injured as a result of the wars that took place just in the last decade of the 20th century, the 1990s. And of course, the greatest cost of war is what? The sacrifice of lives. The cost of lives. Our country's civil war, 620,000 soldiers died. 160 million lives were lost in the 20th century alone due to wars. Two million children in the 1990s alone died because of war. How much of war has cost you? I'm not talking about international wars. I'm talking about personal wars. How much of your conflicts cost you? Your battles, your skirmishes, your fights, your quarrels. Yeah, there can be a monetary cost to interpersonal relational conflict. Interpersonal relationships that go south can be expensive. But what about the cost emotionally? mentally, relationally, spiritually. Here's the deal. When there is no peace, there's always a cost. When there is no peace, there's always a cost. And I think you would probably attest to that from your own life. When there hasn't been peace in your marriage, there's been a cost. When there hasn't been peace in your extended family, there's a cost. Whenever there is no peace, there's a tremendous cost. This morning, Christmas Eve morning, you might be thinking this is a strange time to be talking about war. Well, because we're going to talk about peace. And the only need for us to talk about peace is because of the existence of conflict in our worlds and in our lives. 
We're asking the question, why did Jesus come? Why did the Son of God leave his glory with the Father in heaven, where he was worshipped by 10,000 times 10,000 angels? Why did he leave all of that? What was it that he wanted to accomplish by coming to our little tiny planet and taking on the form of a helpless baby? This morning, we're going to think about the fact that Jesus came to bring peace. But how do you bring peace into a world that knows so much war, a world that is characterized by fighting and conflict? What's that peace going to look like? How do you bring peace into a world where there is civil war, tribal wars, religious wars, world wars, and then on a more personal level, a world where you find husbands and wives fighting with each other? I mean, isn't it ironic that the one relationship that was designed to model the relationship between Jesus, the bridegroom, and his bride, the church. It was designed to model that, but in so many cases, it is more like a UFC fight night or the sound of silence. Then you've got brothers fighting with brothers, sisters not talking to each other, kids and parents at odds with each other. I mean, this is what keeps Jerry Springer and Dr. Phil on the air. You've got generational feuds between family members that have lasted for decades in some cases. You know what I'm talking about. We can't imagine a world without these things, and yet Jesus says that he comes to bring peace into our world. Shalom, well-being. Shalom with God, shalom within ourselves, and shalom with each other. Peace. So forget for the next few minutes trying to imagine what the world would be like without war. Try to imagine what your world could be like if the Prince of Peace was reigning more in your life in 2018 than he has in the last 12 months. It was some 700 years before the birth of Christ when Isaiah prophesied of someone who was going to be born, who was going to have some phenomenal titles, wonderful counselor, mighty God, Everlasting Father, titles that no human being has ever been given. And yet these titles would be given to someone yet to be born. But it was the fourth title, Prince of Peace. The world at that time had not known any peace. The world at that time had been afflicted with war. Empires fighting with empires. Babylonians, the Assyrians, the Greeks, the Romans. It was a world that knew no peace. And yet Isaiah said that one would be born who would be known as the Prince of Peace. The Prince who brings peace. And then on the night of Jesus' birth, the angel of the Lord proclaimed to the shepherds, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you, and this is the fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy, unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest. All of those angels that have been worshiping the Son of God in heaven are now on the earth praising, saying glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace 
among those with whom he is well pleased. Good news, great joy, a Savior, Christ the Lord, peace. The Apostle Paul wrote in Ephesians 2, For he himself is our peace. Paul says he himself is our peace. Christ is our peace. He doesn't just bring peace, he is our peace. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off, the Gentiles, and peace to those who were near, the Jews. In other words, he came and preached peace to everybody. Well, let's think for a minute what constitutes peace. There are several aspects to the definition. And as we go through these, these, I want you to make it personal. Think about your own life. Think about the aspects of peace that especially apply to you. A definition of peace includes a sense of well-being despite circumstances. A sense of well-being despite your circumstances. Think of Horatio Spafford, who wrote the familiar hymn, It Is Well With My Soul, when he had lost his three daughters at sea. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. That's peace. That's peace. Despite circumstances. Habakkuk said, wrote these words, Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord, I will take joy in the God of my salvation, God the Lord is my strength. That perspective gives you peace, despite circumstances. It also means freedom from anxiety. Peace means freedom from worry. Can I ask, when was the last time you were anxious about something? Has it been 24 hours? I mean, if I go to bed with some anxiety, that is what wakes me up in the middle of the night. And that is what robs me of a good night's sleep. And that is what robs me of peace. Anxiety robs you of peace. And usually when that happens for me, I will simply tell you it's because I'm either not trusting my Heavenly Father or I'm not availing myself of the peace that Christ has offered me. Add to the definition, peace is goodwill and harmony in relationships. Goodwill and harmony in, in your interpersonal relationships. Husbands and wives, parents and kids, brother to brother, brother to sister, sister to sister. Goodwill and harmony with your neighbors, the people who live on each side of you. Goodwill and harmony at the workplace, in the office, with your team. Goodwill and harmony, peace. And then the last part of the definition, the full realization of God's favor and blessing. Boy, that's peace. The full realization of God's favor and blessing upon your life, where you just simply stop and remind yourself of who you are and what God has done for you. And you can be at peace, regardless of what's swirling around you. Now, I don't know about you, but I look at that list, a sense of well-being despite circumstances, freedom from anxiety, goodwill and harmony in relationships, and the full realization of God's blessing, 
I look at that list and conclude pretty quickly that if I'm to experience even a portion of that kind of peace, let alone peace in all of its fullness, it's going to have to be from outside of me. Because there will always be adverse circumstances in my life. There will always be things that have the potential of creating anxiety for me. There's always the possibility of relationships going south. And just because of my limitations, I probably will have great difficulty knowing the fullness of God's favor and blessing. So if I'm to know this kind of peace in 2018, it's going to have to be from outside of me. Outside of my own ability to understand these things and experience these things. Let's remind ourselves how our peace crisis originated. Where did it start? It started at the very beginning. It started with the progenitors of our race, Adam and Eve. Think about it. They would have experienced the bliss of perfect, uncorrupted, untarnished peace. The fullness of shalom. Adam and Eve had that. They had peace with God. They walked in the garden with him. They had peace with each other as husband and wife. Remember how ecstatic Adam was when he first saw Eve? I mean, man, if, if, if you're at peace with God and at peace with your wife, guys, it can't get any better than that. Now, how long it lasted, we're not told, but we know that that fateful day came when their shalom was ruined. Conflict swept into the garden like a sudden storm off of Lake Michigan. Their shalom was shattered when they violated God's commandments. That's a... That's a very unique uh, ringtone, I've got to tell you. (laughs) Their shalom was shattered. God had said, don't eat of this tree right here. Enjoy everything else in the garden. Enjoy everything else in the garden, guys, but don't eat of that tree right there. And they couldn't resist. They took of the fruit and they ate of it. And friends, whenever you disobey God's commandments that he has given to you for your own good, there's going to be conflict. Let me say that again. Whenever you disobey God's commandments that are given to us for our own good, there's going to be conflict. There's going to be conflict with God. There's going to be conflict in my soul and my spirit. My conscience is going to be all messed up. And so the conflict first showed when God came looking for them, like a father calling for his six-year-old son who is hiding in the bedroom because he knows that he's done something wrong. Adam, where are you? Adam, where are you? See, whenever God has to come looking for you, you know that something's wrong. Isaiah wrote, your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God. That's war. That's strife. Isaiah 48, there is no peace, says the Lord, for the wicked. Isaiah 59, the way of peace they do not know. That was Adam and Eve's situation. The peace was gone. They had enjoyed it. They had experienced it for who knows how many days or weeks. We don't know. But then it was gone. And then, of course, when they weren't at peace with God, they were conflicted in themselves. Their sense of inner peace had been shattered like a, like a piece of crystal stemware that slips from your hand and drops to the floor. 
But it didn't stop there. It didn't take long for it to affect their relationships. They quickly blamed each other for what had happened. Adam said, the woman you gave me, she gave me the fruit of the tree and I ate it. And so Adam blames his wife. And it's not recorded, so it's merely conjecture on my part, but I can almost hear Eve retorting, me, you were there too. You wanted to eat the fruit just like I did. And you could have stopped me. You should have stopped me. And the blame game began. And friends, the blame game has never stopped since. And as if the conflict wasn't bad enough between the two of them, to show the absence of peace in the world, it would reveal its destructiveness with the next generation with their two boys. When one brother would kill the other. No no shalom, no peace. It's gone. James diagnosed our lack of peace when he wrote, What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions, your desires, are at war within you? And so if your passions are at war within you, you will not have peace. Your passions, your desires, your, your, your insistence on winning the fight, your insistence that it's, it's all about you, it's all about your life, it's all about your happiness... What is it that causes quarrels and fights between two people? They've got conflicting passions. So you've got an absence of peace with God. You've got the loss of internal peace in your spirit. And then you've got the absence of peace with your fellow man. Now I know there are lots of manifestations of sin in our world, but friends, I just have to believe that this is probably at the top of the list. I think this is at the top of the list. Our relationship with God gets broken. Any hope of experiencing internal peace is gone. And then what do we do? We act it out with each other. With quarrels and fights and feuds and strife and dissension. Sometimes it lingers quietly beneath the surface like a a lingering quiet cancer. And sometimes it erupts with volcanic intensity. That's why there's no peace in our world. Now, I want to spend the rest of our time this morning unpacking the words of Jesus, spoken by the Prince of Peace himself. And let me say it again. You've got to hear Jesus speaking these words to you today. Otherwise, it's just print on a page. Otherwise, it's just words up on a screen. I want you to hear the Prince of Peace speaking to you individually today. You have to, you're going to have to make yourself get into that from your mind as if you're, you're hearing Jesus talking to you about the peace that he offers to you. He said, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. First of all, the peace that Jesus brings is a bestowed peace. He bestows it upon those he loves. He says, Jesus speaking to his disciples, peace I leave with you. 
He gives it to them as a gift. They can't earn it. They can't buy it. They don't deserve it. He just simply gives it to them. Peace I leave with you. Years ago, my wife and I were good friends with one of the players for the Minnesota Vikings. We lived with them in San Diego for three months. Then we went back to St. Paul, Minnesota, where I was in seminary. And of course, they were back in Minnesota for the season. And for the next two or three years, we established a really good friendship with Nate and Christy. At the end of one of their football seasons, I think it was probably the last one when we were maybe in our, my, my last year of seminary, Nate and Christy said that they wanted to give us a gift. They wanted to give us their car. It was a sporty little Fiat, a little sort of orangish-yellow Fiat. It was so much fun to drive. And needless to say, we had never been given a car before. Have any, have any of you been given a car? Um, what do you do? I mean, they just gave it to us out of the generosity of their hearts. We didn't buy it from them. We didn't give them anything in exchange. I mean, we couldn't have. We were poor. We were really poor. It was just a gift that they bestowed upon us. And so the question is, what do you do when you're given a car? Two things. You say thank you, and then you drive it and enjoy it. What do you do when the Prince of Peace says, I want to leave you with peace? I would suggest you say thank you, and then you drive it and enjoy it. You avail yourself of the gift. I could have left the Fiat sitting out there in the seminary parking lot, afraid to drive it, because I'm not real sure if he really gave it to me. I don't know for sure, and I don't want to, I don't want to take a chance on wrecking it. And we do the same with Christ's peace. We leave it sitting there. We don't avail ourselves of it because we aren't sure that we really deserve it. We're not sure how to use it. And we're not even convinced that he really did give it to us in the first place. Jesus says, peace I leave with you. He bestows it upon us. Secondly, it's a divine peace. My peace I give to you, Jesus says. My peace. It's the peace that I have within myself. It's the peace that I have enjoyed with my Father for all eternity. My peace I give to you. I want you to have my peace. You know, one of the Apostle Paul's favorite titles for God is the God of peace the God of peace. Romans 15, may the God of peace be with you all. Romans 16, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. Philippians 4, the God of peace will be with you. 1 Thessalonians 5, may the God of peace sanctify you completely. Hebrews 13, may the God of peace equip you with everything good that you may do His will. And then, of course, Paul begins almost all of his letters with grace to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Peace from God. And so think about this for a minute. Divine peace, heavenly peace. There is no conflict in the triune Godhead. They've never been fighting with each other, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They've never been at odds with each other. The three distinct persons of the Trinity have only known unbroken harmony 
for all eternity. They've never argued, no bickering, no feuding, no insisting on their own way, no using the silent treatment on each other. And so the peace that the Prince of Peace gives is a beyond-this-world peace. It's divine. It's God's. And now the Son of God shares it with those he loves. Jesus says, I want for you to have my peace. I don't want you to keep trying to live on your own peace because it's not working. Well, then if, it's, if Jesus says it's my peace, we've got to know, number three, that it's got to be a costly peace. Incredibly costly. Friends, there's always a cost for acquiring peace. There's always a cost for acquiring peace. Those of you who are married know that. Those of you in family conflicts know that. There is always a cost for acquiring peace. We looked at the monetary costs of a war and the cost of lives. I don't know. It's kind of crazy, but it seems like there always has to be a death in order to acquire peace. seems like there always have to be lives sacrificed in order to bring about peace. And so here's the question. What was necessary in order for the Son of God to give us His peace? Because that's a huge deal. It couldn't be delivered to us as simply as the FedEx truck pulling up in front of your house and leaving a package on the front porch called peace. It couldn't be arranged at the Middle East Peace Summit because our crisis of peace is so much greater than anything ever experienced between the Israelis and the Palestinians. Our peace problem is so much bigger than theirs. The cause of our lack of peace with God was of such an enormous magnitude. We basically declared war against God. And not just Adam and Eve, but you and I. We essentially declared war against our Creator through our sin. And so the cost in order to reconcile us back to God would have to be at least in proportion to the greatness of our sin. If this is what caused the war between me and God, the solution for this would have to be at least equal in proportion, if not much greater in proportion. Because we're talking about billions times billions times billions of sins against a holy God. And Paul says that Jesus came and preached peace to those who were far off, and he preached peace to those who were near. Jesus says, my peace I give to you. Understand this, when Jesus made that statement to his disciples, he knew exactly what it would cost in order for him to keep that promise. Paul writes in Colossians 1, For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. That's the cost for our peace. Ephesians 2, now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near. How? How have we been brought near? 
by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace. Oh man, this, this piece is a costly piece. Don't ever make light of it. Don't ever take it for granted. Don't ever brush past when the Apostle Paul says, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Just stop there and marvel at the reality of what it costs. We also know from what Jesus says in this verse that it's a permanent peace. Look at what he says. Not as the world gives do I give to you. I love that. Not as the world gives do I give to you peace. Say, well, what kind of peace does the world give? Two words come to mind for me, circumstantial and impermanent. The world's peace is circumstantial, and as a result, the world's peace is always impermanent. Did you know that in recorded history, there have apparently been, according to historians, some 8,000 peace treaties that have been signed between nations, between tribes, between ethnic groups, all of which were eventually broken. They ran their course. The two chiefs that made the, came up with the peace treaty, but they both died, and their sons took over, and their sons didn't like each other. Something happened, and then there was war again. What about your peace of mind? Isn't your peace of mind terribly circumstantial? Your peace of mind is based upon if you have job security. Your peace of mind is based upon if you have health insurance. Your peace of mind is based upon if you are in good health. Your peace of mind is based upon whether or not things are going well for you. If they're not going well for you, you don't have peace of mind. And so even if you have peace of mind now because you have a job, you may not have that same job a year from now. If your peace of mind is based upon now you are in really good health, you may not be in good health next Christmas Eve. See, any peace that the world has to offer, any peace that you can offer yourself is circumstantial and therefore impermanent. And Jesus says, I don't give to you peace the way the world gives. My peace is rock-solid, everlasting, permanent. It can never be taken away from you. It was a permanent peace that Christ acquired. Paul writes in Romans 5, Since we have been justified by God, since we've been declared right in the sight of God, since we've had this, this, this division and strife fixed by Christ on the cross, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Period. He didn't say we have peace with God for the next two days. He didn't say we have peace with God for a year. He didn't even say we have peace with God until we sin again. That might be two minutes. No, since we've been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, period. I like the way Paul says it in 2 Thessalonians 3. Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace 
at all times in every way. Fantastic. But then Jesus makes it really personal. And these next two tell us that he isn't talking about the peace at the end of the age when he will make all things right. He's talking about peace now. It's a calming peace. Jesus says, let not your hearts be troubled. Well, that means today. That means now. He's talking about peace in the here and now because he's talking about your heart. Let not your hearts be troubled. Now, friends, think about it. Isn't it incredible? Here you have the Son of God who was hours away from being mocked and ridiculed and spit upon and beaten and scourged and finally being nailed to a cross to die. And he's worried about their peace. He's concerned for their peace. If, you, if it had been me, I would have been concerned about my peace. That's our Savior. That's your Savior. And you've got to hear these words coming to you today in 2017. Let not your hearts be troubled. I'm still the Prince of Peace. That's still who I am. Let not your hearts be troubled as you think about what's going on in your life right now. You're not going to find your peace there. I want you to find your peace in me. And then lastly, it's a fear-subsiding peace. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Do you know that God has always sought to abate the fears of his people? Isn't that amazing? God has always sought to abate the fears of his people. What a wonderful God we have, that he cares about your fears. You find that Old Testament, New Testament, Fear not. Be not afraid. Don't be frightened. He would want to abate your fears as you go into 2018. Isaiah 41, fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I'll strengthen you. I'll help you. I'll uphold you with my righteous right hand. I'll uphold you with my righteous right hand. And who is at the right hand of God? The Prince of Peace. Psalm 46, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, we will not fear. See, I don't know what's going on in your life these days. I don't know what might come into your life in the next 12 months. Only God knows that. You might feel as if the earth beneath your feet is giving way. But if God is your refuge and strength and if Christ is your peace, you're going to be okay. You'll be okay. Now, don't miss the fact as we wrap up that there are a couple of commands implied in Christ's words. It's in that little three-letter word, let. Don't let yourself be troubled. Don't let your heart 
be taken over with fear. Don't allow for trouble and fear to win the day because you're not alone. I'm with you. And I am the Prince of Peace. Don't let your hearts be troubled or afraid. Instead, let the peace of Christ rule over your troubled heart. Isaiah 26.3, the last scripture for the morning. You keep him, you keep her in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he, because she trusts in you. Brothers and sisters, that's his promise. To keep you in perfect peace. Your part is to make sure your mind is stayed on him. That your mind is grounded, your mind is fixed, your life is secured. All the parts of your life are tied down, staying in the same place on Christ. You keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. So every day, every day in 2018, there are going to be things that will seek to rob me of my peace. I know that. There will be so many things in the coming year that will have the potential to rob you of your peace. All kinds of things. My sins would rob me of my peace. The sins of others against me would rob me of my peace. Your circumstances, your job, your finances, your health, your work environment could rob you of your peace. World events can rob us of our peace. Political wranglings can rob us of our peace. Things that you have no control over will have the potential of robbing you of all of your peace. But the question is, will you know with certainty that there is one who is in control? You keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. You say, Gary, practically, how does that work? All I can do is tell you how it works for me by meeting with the Lord every day. By meeting with the Lord every day in his word. By allowing the Prince of Peace to talk to me. By allowing my Heavenly Father to speak words of comfort and strength and encouragement to me from this book. My hope and prayer for us as a congregation in the coming year, this Christmas, Christmas Eve, Christmas Day, every day thereafter, is that we could be people who experience on a daily basis the reality, yes, I believe that there is a Prince of Peace. And he happens to be my Savior and my Lord. And therefore, I will walk with him through the days that he gives me. Amen? Pray with me. My hope and prayer at a time like this is always that everyone who is listening to my words and the words of Scripture
personally knows Christ, that if possibly you're here today and you've never given your life to Jesus, you've never trusted in him, you've never believed, you've always kind of kept him at an arm's length, you push back for whatever reason, for whatever the reasons are, you keep him, you keep him out of your life instead of inviting him into your life. I would just simply ask, how's that working for you? How's that working? Because the Prince of Peace offers himself to you. He offers to forgive you of the sins that cause so much conflict with God. All the mess in your life that causes your conscience to never be calm. He promises to bring a new power into your life so that you can enter into those interpersonal relationships with with a new kind of power to bring peace instead of war. I invite you to invite him. May this Christmas be yours. May this be your day. Say, Lord Jesus, I invite you into my life. I receive you as my Savior, my my Lord, my God. I believe. Help my unbelief. I believe that you died on the cross. I need you. I need you. And for my brothers and sisters who are here, you've known the Lord for some time. Is he your Prince of Peace? Or is that just a title that's found in Isaiah? Maybe it's time that you make it your own. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you for these words. Thank you for speaking so clearly to us. Oh, how we need you. We honor you. We praise you. We love you. We give you thanks and praise. You are the ruler of the universe. You May you rule our hearts with your peace. We pray in your matchless name. And all of God's people agreed by saying, Amen.